The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Before we start, please turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 33. Before I read, we'll have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Lord, I thank you that we have a church that stands for the truth, that doesn't compromise. In a time of, in a time of compromise, Lord, all around us, help us to stand firm on your word. We pray for those that are traveling today. We think of Pastor and Pam and the Petros. Most of all, we think about the Coonses as they go to their new home. We'll miss them, Lord. Thank you for the time that you gave us with them. We know that you're going to do great things. Help me, Lord. Help me to be focused on what I say today. Help my comments to be edifying. Give me wisdom, Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So my, my message is entitled, What People Want to Hear. What People Want to Hear. Or maybe, What They Don't Want to Hear. By the way, um, any questions or comments or input is welcomed. So I'll start with an assertion. And that is that our society is irreparably damaged. Would you agree with that? We live in a time where almost no one believes that the Word of God is the truth. We live in a time where at least half the population does not believe that there is an absolute standard of truth. They actually believe things that are false, demonstrably false. Is that true? We live in the midst of a culture war. This war pits newly created rights of a relatively small minority against the rights, the sensibilities, the long-standing moral values and institutions held by the majority. So as I said before, the church has stood against this tide of moral and spiritual compromise for many years. It must do so now, more than ever. So I start with Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 1. Let's read it together. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people, and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coasts, and set him for their watchman, if, when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet, 
and taketh not warning. If the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning. His blood shall be upon him. But, but, if he taketh warning, but he that taketh warning, excuse me, shall deliver his soul. 33.6. But if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is, a, he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. Warn them from me. Do we understand what's being said here? It's kind of easy to see. It pictures the church. It pictures the Old Testament, but it also pictures the church. We are to warn. We are to admonish. We are to rebuke. How, how, much, is, is, how much of that is happening in our churches today? Very little. This, parallels, this verse parallels a New Testament verse, 2 Timothy 4, 5. And it says, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof thy ministry. So is it fair to say that it is our duty to warn God's people of the dangers that we face? America has existed as a nation for approximately 230 years. 180 of those years, we essentially had the same cultural norms. We shared them. Do you ever wonder why our culture is in the tailspin that it is? Any ideas? To start, someone who hardly would have been considered, or, or I don't know, probably was considered a conservative of his time, he wouldn't be today, said in 1935, quote, We cannot read the history of our rise and development as a nation without, rec- without reckoning with the place the Bible has occupied in shaping the advances of the Republic. Where we have been the truest and most consistent in obeying its precepts. We have attained the greatest measure of contentment. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Did I? uh, No, I got it. Forgive me. Where we have been truest and most consistent in obeying its precepts, we have attained the greatest measure of contentment and prosperity. So, he saw the need, the importance of the Bible in our society. Do you know who said that? Anyone? 1935. Gary? You have a guess? You're, an, you're kind of a historian. John? Franklin Delano Roosevelt. 
hardly a conservative, but he understood this. So what has changed? What has changed? I think three very important decisions, Supreme Court decisions, have been made that have, have led to where we are today. Probably many more. One of them, number one, I, I should say, two Supreme Court rulings, Engel versus Vitale in 1962 and Murray versus Curlett in 1963, ruled it was unconstitutional to have prayer and readings or recitations from the Bible in the classroom or on the grounds of public schools. That was in 1962 and 63. The second one came 10 years later. Can anyone guess what that might be? 1973. Correct. The Supreme Court took up Roe v. Wade ruling on January 22nd, 1973, that under the 14th Amendment, a woman's right to abortion trumped, no pun intended, any other competing rights that could not be abridged by state laws banning abortions. This ruling effectively stripped unalienable rights and equality from both the unborn and the father. Number three. In yet another 14th Amendment ruling, Obergefell versus Hodges, handed down on June 26, 2015, in a narrow 5-4 decision. Any guesses? Say again? That's correct. The Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage nationwide, a decision that transformed the definition of the family which has been for millennia the foundational institution for procreation and child-rearing. In the dissenting words of Chief Justice Roberts, a guy I don't really agree with on most of his decisions, but this was actually well said, that narrow majority ruling was likely to unleash a new level of intolerance and division because it, quote, not only overlooks our country's entire history and tradition, but actively repudiates it. Preferring to live only in the heady days of the here and now. And isn't that where we are? I mean, it's just whatever you want to do, whatever strikes you any day, do it. It's fine. These three rulings have done irreparable damage to our country. Quoting from the American Spectator, bear with me, I will have... This is, this is going to be a two-parter, but I have to lay a foundation. The imprimatur of five Supreme Court justices effectively opened the door to some 2% of Americans being able to dictate to the population at large what they can say, how they can conduct their business, and even influence what churches and synagogues are allowed to practice and preach. Thankfully, we're not quite there yet, but we're going there. From there, it's been a short step into the LGBT agenda to demand ever more equal rights, such as equal access to public bathrooms and locker rooms of either sex, 
and the right to participate. This is important, the right to participate in sports under the transgender's new, new sex rather than the biological birth gender like everyone else. Have you seen those stories? We have men that have transitioned and they're competing with women. And guess what? They're winning every time, every time. And the women, and it's like, and so we live in this society where, well, that's okay, right? That's totally fine. We can't say anything against that. Well, as these women who are training and working extraordinarily hard to be at the top of their profession, or, well, not men, because men will dominate, forget it. Um, they work, now they're starting to push back because they're, they're like, well, what's going on here? I mean, this is madness. And the way it has been going, those who dare question these trends are likely to be charged with being homo or transphobic and engaging in hate speech. Okay, so there's the foundation. That's where we are. A sea change in the cultural norms of our nation. Would you agree? I, mean, I know you would. This is so important. It's a gradual transformation in which the form is retained, but the substance is replaced. The form is retained, but the substance is replaced. So for me, this has been a burden, because as, you, as we read in Ezekiel, I think it's our job to warn people. If we're not doing that, we're failing. The church is really the last, last bulwark of total cultural disintegration. Here we are, few of us, but we're, this is important to us. The truth is important to us, isn't it? We're not bigoted. We're not haters. But we don't want to see the truth abused. We don't want to see what's happening here. We know that this isn't good for people. So I have a few observations. The first one is the Bible tells us that in the last days, people will depart from the truth. They will hate God. They will change or reject what God's word teaches. They will accept God's physical laws, but they will reject his spiritual laws. So in hating God, they will do what uh, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. It says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. The Greek word here for time is kairos, meaning season. Would you say that we are in a season of moral and spiritual decline? Do people tolerate an unchangeable, fixed gospel? No, they don't. What they do is that they have opinions, and those opinions 
determine what the truth is. And that's it. They are, they are essentially their own God, determining what's right, what's wrong. The Bible addresses this. I think of these people, and it's in Psalm 2, verse 3, it says, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Isn't that a, a picture of the unbeliever today? Of the social justice warrior? They will not be bound by the bands and cords of an oppressive religion. They will not be subject to anyone ruling over them. I tell my kids this all the time. Somebody is going to rule over you. It's either us, your parents, or your job, the government. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. God ruling over you, your job ruling over you, makes you a responsible person. People with no rules, with no direction, are like a, a ship at sea with no rudder. So God tells us that these things are good for us, to follow his principles, to live the way he intends. That's good for us. We shouldn't not want to do that. That's exactly what we should want to do. So they will have contempt for the gospel and Christ's ministers. They will revel in their liberty to do exactly what they want to do, to pursue all of their sinful lusts and desires. But like I said before, isn't true freedom being liberated, liberated from the bondage of sin? Isn't that true freedom? Do you feel oppressed? I don't. I'm happy. I'm happy that God loves me, that he puts a fence around me. I can't just do whatever I want. And you know what? I, it, because the Spirit of God dwells in you, you shouldn't want to do those things. He changes your heart. What does he say in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30? Turn there. Turn there with me. Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. And it says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is true freedom. That is not a yoke of oppression. That's a yoke of liberty, if you will. Isn't it? So, my first observation is we see the enemies of Christ are rebellious. They're rebellious. My second observation in hating God, society will progressively deteriorate, as Paul warns us in 2 Timothy 3.1. He says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. The Greek word for perilous here means fierce. It means fierce. Fierce times. This word is used in classic Greek literature to typify dogs or wild pigs. Have you ever been confronted by a snarling dog? It's terrifying. I have a story for you. 
So when I was, when I just met Lisa, I went to visit her in Canada and they, they lived on a very rural, in a very rural area. And I got up one day and I said, I'm going to go for a run. There was like a five mile circuit from their house all the way around. So I, I'm running, it's cold, but I'm moving, so it's fine. I get, I get about half a mile from her house and I'm approaching a driveway, or I'm, I'm running on the road here, the driveway's coming out, and a dog comes out to meet me, snarling. And it's like, so I stop. So every time I get a little closer to that driveway, he comes a little further out. I didn't know what to do. I was freaked out. I'm like, well, I, maybe I could wait him out. I was, I, was, I was thinking of whatever I could come up with. Maybe if a car came by, I could skirt, skirt by with the car. Remember that? <laughs> It's unforgettable how sick I got because I was out there for like an hour. I don't know how I got back. Do you remember? <laughs> I got back. I was so sick. The rest of my time, I was basically like wrapped up on the couch. Anyway, it was, it was, it's frightening. It's frightening to see a dog like that. You don't know what they're going to do. I think it's, uh, it, the, this description is, is similar to what we see in Matthew 8.28. It says, and when he was come to the other side of the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. That's the picture when I think about that. That must have been terrifying to see these people. So, the haters of God will be rebellious. The haters of God will be aggressive and hostile. My next observation, in hating God, people will do what Jeremiah lamented in his day, that the religious leaders were conforming to the low morality of the people. Jeremiah 5.31 says, The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means, and my people love to have it so. And what will ye do in the end thereof? They love to have it so. The prophets and priests' task was to convey God's truth about the immutable, eternal God to the people. Instead, they deceived the people, and they made merchandise of them. Do we see that happening today? There is almost no church you can go to that is going to tell people the truth anymore. And that's the last place that's left. Thank God we have a church that still preaches the truth. So we see, we saw that in the Old Testament, and we see it in the New this continues unabated. Second, Second Peter 2.1. If you want to turn there, please do. Second Peter 2, verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought, the, bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways. 
by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness, they shall with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose, ju- whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. So, the haters of God will be rebellious. The haters of God will be aggressive and hostile. And the haters of God will pervert the truth. In an evil age, it is easier to please the people by perverting God's truth rather than proclaiming it. This is easy enough to identify in the world. We see it all the time. But it's in the church, too. Worldly attitudes. A cavalier attitude toward church attendance. A cavalier attitude toward biblical literacy. How many people know their Bible? How many people are reading it? How many Christians are? Few. There's not a real desire to know what it says, to apply it to their lives. What I've noticed is that there's an unwillingness to help in the work, in the ministries. I see a lot of people that like to warm the pew, and that's about it. Is that not true? They're here for church, and they're gone. Workday, no one's here. Projects, preaching. I'm not trying to beat up on anybody, but isn't this important to you? If it's not, there's something wrong. Doesn't the Word of God transform us, change us? It should. So there's a general lack of any standards, modesty, propriety, decency. People have become profane. 2 Timothy 3.13 says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But what is God's will? What does he want? What does he expect? 1 Timothy 2.8 and 9 says, I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath, And doubting, in like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair, or gold, or pearls, or costly array. I thought this was interesting, because when it says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, it seems, you know, we kind of just read that and don't really think about it. Number one, this is not exclusive to men only. This is obviously applying to women as well, except for the gold embroidered hair and things like that. But think about it. If you're in an attitude of prayer, are you going to be thinking sinful things? Are you going to be engaged in sinful things? You can't be praying to God and be doing sinful things. You can't have that attitude, right? So we have to live as God intends. This isn't legalism. This is not standards-driven righteousness. It can be. There's a lot of that. 
But when you want to do all the things that, that I listed, when those are important to you, that's not because you're being legalistic. That's because you love the Lord. If we take a bird's eye view, we see it's really a heart issue. As we know more about God, as we see ourselves in the proper perspective, we shouldn't look at this as being a burden. It's not a burden, is it? So my second observation is God's truth cannot be changed. When God's word convicts us, we must change ourselves, not the truth. We must change ourselves. It's not hard. We see what God's word tells us. We should just do it. Stop trying. Do it. In attempting to change what God's word teaches, people attempt to ignore the consequences of their disobedience by distorting the truth. Ayn Rand said, who knows who that is? <laughs> you can avoid reality, but you cannot ignore the consequences of avoiding reality. We see what happened to Adam and Eve when they sinned in Genesis chapter 3. I think I'm going to stop there. We'll pick up next week. Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. Their disobedience of God. The result, God punishing them and driving them out of the garden. I don't want to move on because I, because I want to just stay on this section and I'm going to run out of time. But thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.